Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 94, with hungry founder Iman Palavani. The reason why I think you know entrepreneurs are generally the ones who are successful, why are they successful? It's mainly because they don't stop what they're doing. They just keep going. They keep going. Even if they keep hitting you know, one wall after another, they will keep pivoting and go, pivot and go. And the only way to really do that and stay motivated is if you have a co-founder who is constantly helping cheer you on. And then when he's down, you're up. When you're down, he's up. It helps make sure that you don't stop and that you do continue to move forward and pivot and move forward. At some point along that, that line of pivoting, what you offer will fit with what the market wants. And then that's when the business is really born and it starts to take off and it starts to grow. But to get there, there's a little bit of a grueling process of hitting lots of walls, having super sad days and nights where it doesn't work, tears, all that stuff. And a co-founder will help you get over these humps and, and these hurdles. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 10 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. This week, I have Iman Palavani. He's the founder and COO of Hungry, a digital platform that connects businesses with catering services provided by local chefs. The platform's notable investors include Jay-Z, Kevin Hart, and a number of NFL stars. This past year, they had to pivot a bit and began offering chef-made meals direct to consumers at their homes, as well as adding a virtual chef experience. Over the past few years, a lot of these platforms have been popping up, so I wanted to get more details directly from Iman. Honestly, I found that a lot of the platforms don't actually seem to be that beneficial to chefs, which is why I've been skeptical about having an organization like this on the podcast. But having done my research, it seems like Hungry really is a great option for chefs looking to expand their corporate catering business. That being said, I'm not a user of their service, and do your own research. This isn't a sponsored episode, I was just hoping to provide more value to my audience. On the show, we also talk about business basics and why Iman thinks it's imperative for a successful business to have a co-founder. I also want to let you know about something new I'm trying on the podcast. Some of the episodes are going to be called Meet a Member, where I highlight a member of the Chefs Without Restaurants community. Rather than a long-form interview, which I really do love, it'll be a shorter interview with a lot of fun, rapid-fire type questions thrown in. Almost like what I used to do at the end of the show when I started this podcast with Andrew. If you'd like to be featured, send me a message or an email. And now, on with the show. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Hey, Iman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I remember, I guess a couple of years ago when the article came out, and I think the headlines were like Jay-Z and Kevin Hart and Vessen Chef Platform or something. I think like everyone I know sent me those articles. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, yeah, we got, uh, we were very blessed and lucky to uh, have some amazing people join. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I've got a whole network of chefs without restaurants, so this is kind of their their thing. So I'm really looking forward to finding out about what you do. So I guess let's jump right in. Uh, you're the COO and founder of Hungry. So what's Hungry and how did that come about? So Hungry's um, it's basically a food tech company that was created uh, 2016, 2017. And the initial concept was to essentially connect local chefs um, that work out of incubator kitchens to companies who want corporate catering for breakfast, for lunch, for afternoon snacks. And the idea was that we would create that connectivity uh, using a platform, a website, and launch this in every major market in the United States. So that was the original uh, idea and concept. Basically, you know, level the playing field for the independent chef. So are people using your own kitchens or can they use existing commercial kitchens that they've already been working out of if they have one? Yeah, no. So Hungry doesn't own or operate any kitchens, um, uh, you know, very much like, you know, Uber doesn't own the cars. So all of our chefs uh, work out of incubator and commercial kitchens um, that they either were already working at or that they go and partner with. Hungry has a lot of great relationships with a lot of these kitchens because we, you know, per, we're, we're a huge source of revenue for the chefs that work there that then pay rent to those kitchens. But uh, we actually don't own or operate any of them. Do you have traditional caterers who are doing other things like who maybe cater weddings and big events, but they also want to bring in some revenue doing corporate catering like this? The way it starts is usually a chef, um, they would apply to be on the platform if they got through the application process and the testing and everything. This would start off maybe as a side hustle for them, right? They, they, they do some catering on the hungry platform, but then they have you know, their own barbecue business or wedding business or whatever the case is. Um, within a few months, usually this becomes their full time because they're just so busy um, with the sheer volume of orders that, that comes in. So, you know, companies spend north of $50 billion a year on, on food to the office. And so most of that money is going to Panera Bread, your uh, fast casual restaurants that they're ordering from. But Hungry is essentially rerouting all that and, and putting it in the pockets of all these chefs. And so they once they join the platform, they get very, very busy. That's really cool because I find as a personal chef, the hardest thing for me is the marketing and finding clients. And I know every caterer I know goes through the same thing. How do you get new clients? So um, it seems like you must be funneling a ton of business into all of these smaller caterers, which I think is great. Yeah, the two uh, the two common uh, you know issues that we always hear with chefs is, is, is obviously getting business and getting uh, reliable business and then delivery. They don't like doing the delivery. That's not that's not what they went to culinary school for. or That's not their passion. Um, so hungry takes kind of the business side of the house, you know, today you'll be cooking for Amazon tomorrow, Microsoft, the next day, Facebook. So you don't really care like where it's going because you're just on the platform and you're getting orders every single day. Um, and then Hungry's, uh, we have a delivery fleet of over 300 people. Uh, they will come pick up the food. They put it in these sealed hot boxes that are designed for hungry they have the wire racks, the sternos, all the different parts and pieces. Um, then they go to the client site, for example, Microsoft's office. They set it up beautifully. The catering captain stays on site. They um, will help serve the food if necessary, and then they'll clean it up for free. So it's like a full service for the companies that don't want to get their hands you know, dirty with food and clean up and all that stuff. And it's full service for the chefs where all they want to do is just cook because that's their talent and that's, that's what they love doing. I love it. I used to work in catering and have had some nightmares with deliveries and stuff and just not my jam. I was driving a truck one time and we had a chafing dish with, uh, 
you know, food already ready to go in it. And someone cut us off and we jammed on the brakes and flipped a flipped a giant thing in the back of the truck and the food went everywhere and we had to turn around and go back to the kitchen and just that kind of stuff. That's not what I want to do. And I think that's what so many of us chefs get into is you want to be a chef, you want to cook food, but so much of your day-to-day is taken up with doing all these mundane other little things that are best suited to to someone else. Yeah, that's uh, it's not what, you know, uh, the, the, the key to this was how do you break up all the parts of the catering and have kind of someone take over each individual part and piece of it so having someone own the marketing and the, the business acquisition part, and like, let's get an expert, let's get a salesperson for that. Having the chef do what they're an expert at, which is cooking delicious food on time, and then having a delivery person deliver it properly and clean it up. So we took the old traditional catering model and like flipped it on its head, and it, it worked well for us. We grew very fast. We were in the D.C. area. In our first year, we did over a million dollars in revenue. Investors came and said, you know, let's take this and put this in other cities. Let's expand. Let's go, go, go. So right before the pandemic hit, we were in seven uh, cities across the country. Uh, We were, uh, if I remember this correctly, clipping past a a $20 million run rate. Um, So it was a lot of, you know, we were hiring. Chefs were joining the platform. We started getting a lot of celebrity interest. And we were kind of in a nice up and to the right trajectory. So what happened during the pandemic? I mean, how did you guys have to change? Uh, so right before the pandemic, it's like three weeks before the U.S. had its first case of, of COVID, um, we had just closed on a $20 million uh, B round. So the company was valued at a, at 100 and I want to say 15 or 20 million post money. We took in a good amount of capital. And the idea was that money would help fund Hungary's market expansion. We we're going to go into, you know, 20 plus cities in 24 months. So it was an absolute blitz of, of the market because we thought, you know, we felt like we had the special sauce and everything was working, clicking really well. Once COVID hit and people stopped going to the office, our revenue dried up completely within about three weeks. So it was it wasn't like a slow gradual; it was just a cliff. And uh, we we you know sat in sat in a, a conference room and had to figure out: do we? Do what then, if you remember, seemed like a very popular move, which was basically furlough everyone and anyone. Um, I mean, you'd hear it every Thursday on the jobs reports, right? Like another million people furlough, two million, three million. Or do you try and figure out how do you make the current crappy world that we live in um, work somehow? And we, you know, we toyed around with every option. We decided let's let's hold the line and let's just. Give it a few months and see what's going to happen. Let's let's see if we can you know figure out a new way to to survive essentially. And that's how we had a couple of new business lines that were born. Uh, we went from survival to to thrival. Uh, last year we clocked in you know two times our best revenue year ever, and the company is now just on this hiring uh, you know spree right now. We're hiring quickly to expand into new markets and kind of turn the corner there nicely. So are you seeing people coming back into office buildings right now? So it, it is a market by market question, but generally, yes, across the country. Uh, you know, as people get vaccinated, you know, all the restrictions are getting loosened up, masks are coming off. And so people will be more and more comfortable as time passes. I believe the, the, the catalyst is going to be post-summer. So once everyone really goes on vacation, gets comfortable, you see all these people in restaurants and bars and you know, you're everywhere you're going, no masks, coming back to the office will probably be more normal. I don't think it's going to be 
full full time. I think it'll be a hybrid model for maybe a year, but definitely people will be back in the office. I mean, we're already seeing it in the markets that we're in. So as far as your chefs, do you see a typical demographic? Like who are the chefs signing up for this? Um, so it's usually not your um, executive chef that's running a restaurant kitchen because they've, you know, they've got their hands full. They, you know, they're working 100 hours a week. Actually, you know, it could be your executive chef or sous chef that either owns their own catering company or uh, has worked in the restaurant industry, doesn't like it for, for, for various reasons, um, hard hours, you know, pay, whatever the, whatever the, the reasons are. And they want to do their own thing. They have an entrepreneurial bug. They want to create their own barbecue company, catering company. Um, and this platform is, is, is perfect for that. It's actually honestly perfect for any chef that uh, is just great in the kitchen because this platform, you know, right before COVID, some of our chefs were doing $30,000 a month. You know, that's two months of that is more than, you know, most chefs in America see, you know, on an annual basis. So, it was doing, you know, it was totally changing the game for, for chefs. And it was just, they make really good food and companies are spending lots of money or they were spending lots of money on breakfast, lunches, and snacks in their office. And they were tired of, you know, ordering Panera every single day or just sandwiches. So it, it is a platform that's really for all chefs, but typically what we see is initially it's your, I'll call it your, your mid-level to high-level chefs that come on is, is where most of the, the talent is right now. So how does the pay work and all that? Are they just paying you a flat fee every month to kind of work with Hungry? Uh, no. So so chefs don't pay us anything out of their own pocket um, to be on the platform. So once they apply and then get accepted on the platform, and part of that process, it's a rigorous process of you actually have to cook your food for the Hungry team because we are a company. So we're going to test it. They, we rate and review it. We give the chef feedback so they're able to make fixes and things or changes if they need to. We test them on being prompt, timeliness. There's a whole bunch of things that they're getting tested on there. But, but once they're on the platform, they are setting their own prices for their meals. We give them lots of guidance. Like here's what the market you know, you know, can take on a sandwich menu or on a chicken dish or on a pasta dish, whatever the case may be. And they set their own prices. And then Hungry, as a company, we mark it up to uh, provide enough room for us to make money off of the um, transaction as well. That'll cover our delivery costs, our um, catering equipment and marketing and sales and all those different things. So the chef sets their own prices and keeps all of it. I love that because I think, you know, there's been so many of these platforms come out in the past couple of years and so many of them seem kind of predatory to the chef. You know, I think my biggest concern is like, these chefs want to leave a restaurant to start their own business and then they get on these platforms and then they're essentially making, you know, $15 an hour like they were making working in a restaurant. A lot of them lose their their own branding. You know, one of my concerns is I've looked at a couple of these and I, I've been established for 10 years now and they say, well, now you're Chef Chris at Hungry or, you know, whatever company it is. You've lost all your branding and now they're taking this huge cut and basically paying you, you know, like 20% of, of all the the food money you bring in. And that's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. That, that, I'd say that's probably one of the main reasons why we've had such an influx of women. We've had over, uh, you know, thousands of chefs applied to be on this platform. So again, part of the, part of the flipping this industry on its head is also figuring out how do you incentivize and monetize the chef side in a way that works for everyone. So there, there isn't a lot of room in food, right. And in, in the, what people are willing to pay 
and and the raw ingredients and the time that the chef you know has to spend to, to make all the food there's very small slices for you know different parties to, to to take so what we typically do is our business targets companies that are subsidizing food fully um, or partially but but typically it's fully and they have decent budgets to do that you know lunch for twelve dollars to fifteen dollars per person and then we help the chefs get wholesale pricing on their ingredients because usually an independent chef doesn't have a ton of buying power, but hungry will back them and we will help them get that from, you know, wherever they're, they're sourcing their ingredients from. And then we make sure that the chef is happy with what they're receiving. This is worth their time. They're making really good money. They're profiting. They're successful. Um, they can pay their rent to the kitchen that they're operating out of. And then hungry will take its piece which again helps just cover the costs of essentially running this enterprise business that you know has sales, marketing, delivery, all these different parts and pieces to, to make this thing grow. So, you know, thankfully our, our chefs have uh, generally across the board been very, very happy with, um, you know, which is why they go full-time on this. It's a reliable business, it's high income, and the hours are awesome. Our chefs <laughs> work from call it six to 7 a.m. till about 11.30 and they're done for the day. Because it's a breakfast and lunch catering, which was where corporate America, you know, typically caters to the office. So our chefs are done before noon. They can go home, you know, get ready for the next day, hang, hang with the family, you know, do whatever they want to do. So it's no longer the days of the restaurant, you know, keeping you till two in the morning, especially on a weekend. It's pretty sweet. Uh, I worked for a catering company that that's what they did was just corporate catering. The guys were big sports fans. They wanted to have season tickets to all the games. They didn't want to have to work on Saturdays or Sundays. They just wanted to go in and do breakfast, lunch, and call it a day. If you're looking for like a better work-life balance, um, and and most chefs don't have that. It's just it just the industry doesn't allow for right. We all go out to restaurants when during dinner, and then after dinner is over at eight nine. There's like three hours of cleanup that has to happen. And just there's so much, um, especially on the weekends. So, you know, delivery, the, the, the amount of income they make, the, the work-life balance, like these are all things that make this very attractive for, for chefs. And ultimately, we want this to be the platform where a chef graduates from culinary school and then they don't have to go to a restaurant if they don't. You know, this is another alternative. They can join the Hungry Platform pay 500 to $1,000 a month rent at one of these commercial kitchens. And that's basically all the risk that they take on. Yeah, I love it. I mean, this is Chefs Without Restaurants. My whole community are people who don't want to work in restaurants. I mean, I've been in food since 1992, and I've literally never worked in a restaurant. And people always say, like, how's that possible? Well, I worked in corporate catering. I worked for Ikea. I've worked in R&D kitchens. I worked for Sodexo. Like, I just never wanted to work till like two in the morning, 80 hours a week. I think most chefs don't want to do that. Um, they want to be their own boss to a certain degree. They want to make the food that they're passionate about. They don't want to go into a restaurant and make you know the restaurant owner's menu. The problem just is that a lot of the chefs are, uh, you know, there's a business side that you've got to bring to the table. That's, that's hard. It's complicated, especially in that world. There's a delivery side that's even more complicated and even more messy, you know, finance side. There's just all these different parts and pieces that they don't really teach us in culinary school to the degree that we would need to, to be able to branch out on our own. And for those uh, chefs that are, are thinking like, well, let me open up a restaurant. That's a million dollar investment minimum with, you know, 80% failure rate in the first few years, not something awesome to, to look forward to. And you're just trying to create an alternative for them. Like 
hard workers, they make food that everybody consumes and eats and enjoys. So, um, uh, you know, I think it's time that, you know, the industry focuses on the chefs and figure out, well, how do we make this work for them? I and many of my personal chef colleagues have focused on the high-end stuff. You know, you, you've got to trade on volume a lot if you're doing $12 meals. I would rather do uh, 10 meals at $100 a head than 100 meals at $10 a head. Have you ever thought about doing anything like that, kind of working on a higher end with a more intimate chef experience? So, so we started doing that um, before COVID just because our, you know, the, the CEO of X company who had hungry in their office now wants a private dinner party. Uh, you know, or for a kid's birthday or for whatever the case may be. That business is, uh, chefs love that business because it's, it's fewer, you can spend more time on it. doesn't mean it's easier. It's just, you know, there's just certain things that makes it, makes it more lucrative and better. But the, the problem is the reason why we don't go all in on that is the concept behind the hungry platform is to level the playing field for all chefs. There's just not enough, I'll call it elite business you know, $100 per person meal business to cover all the chefs out there that want to be a part of the platform. So you create a platform that captures, you know, pretty much all of the corporate catering business. And then there's offshoots of that where they want higher in this, higher in that, that the chefs can, can, can knock out as well. I guess for me, that was my way of running a restaurant without having to run a restaurant because I really wanted to get into that intricate stuff. But I mean, there are so many people out there doing the corporate catering that this really makes sense for them in my opinion yeah we uh you know we had a chef on our we still have a chef on our platform um uh, she's filipino she came to this country used to work in the airport at a restaurant um just as a line cook making you know sandwiches and burgers and just uh, american food she joined our platform as a total you know side business she's been with us now for two plus years she makes forty thousand dollars a month because people love her authentic Filipino food. She's like a favorite by companies. And, and she, you know, she's, she's told us, I've never made this much money in my entire life. Total economic freedom. She obviously doesn't work at the airport uh, anymore. And her prices, you know, she's doing 10 to $12 lunches per person. But she's pulling in, you know, over $15,000, $20,000 a month in net profit. So there's, you know, you can go, you can get the, the high end business and make, you know, make what you need to. And that's really, that's a very lucrative and interesting business there. And then there's the, I'll call it the mid-level where it's more volume to your point, but there's just, there's just so much of it these days um, because there's so many companies that are spending on food to keep their employees happy, to keep them motivated. And, um, you know, my generation doesn't want to have Panera bread every day. They're very smart about what food they eat. And you can't get that if you just go online and you're looking at the different local restaurants. My only thing with the volume is then you also have to employ people because it's near impossible to do that kind of volume. And then you're back into being an employer and all the things that come along with being an employer. And I think a lot of us get into this business so we don't have to be employers anymore. Yeah. So the, the most I've seen is um, they will be, you know, the, the person who's on the platform will have a team, could have a team of one to three people, you know, washers, cutters. And, and they all work in the incubator kitchen together as a team. So I've seen that. I'd say probably 60 to 70% of our chefs are, you know, one person shows. But then there's a, you know, 20, 25% that have a small team of one or two or three people just because they do produce a higher volume. I would have thought that you'd have more people with a team. That's good to know that it's still like 60 to 70% are doing it solo. Yeah, no, they are. They're, they're, 
the average, you know, on our platform was closer to 10,000 a month. It was like eight to 10,000 a month. And that's much more manageable for one person, uh, you know, depending on what the order is, you know, they might be cooking every day, a couple times a day, they might be cooking twice a week because it's bigger volume. So it just depends on, on what these orders are. And, you know, in New York, we launched in New York and Boston, Atlanta, DC, Philadelphia, and uh, Austin and, and Dallas. And, you know, these are all markets where food to the office, you know, I mean, all the markets in the US really pre-COVID food to the office was just the norm. So we would strategically go after the ones that are very dense, lots of foods going into the offices. And we knew we would be able to capture that audience. So do you have any big new things on the horizon you're working on? Um, we, during COVID, we launched um, Hungry Virtual Experiences, which was putting our chefs on Zoom and having them teach Microsoft, Google's, you know, these companies how to cook a dish for one hour. And that was the company's way of keeping their employees engaged on a Zoom and having fun. But we would also send kits of food and cutting boards and knives and different parts and pieces for that experience. That business rocketed uh, to the moon very, very quickly. You know, we went from zero to over a million dollars a month in just a couple couple months. It was, it was you know, in, incredible growth. So we are growing that business and expanding it. Even though people will come back to the office, there's going to be still a big portion of the market that, that stays virtual. And so they will always want to be involved in the team activities. So what we're doing is creating these hybrid um, experiences where you can be at home, you can be, you know, in California and Texas in the office, and everyone can engage in the experience, whether you're live or whether you're on Zoom, um, with these very well designed kits that we send people and a, and a really talented, you know, uh, chef, most of our chefs are celebrity chefs or TV chefs. So they put on a really good show. So many people have great ideas, but they can't execute. You've started really successful businesses. Is there a, a trick? Like, what do you attribute your success to? You know, if you are starting a, a business, I, my uh, my first suggestion is something that uh, my my brother, who is my co-founder in these companies, um, taught me, uh, which is find a co-founder. The reason for that is the, the next point, which is don't stop. The reason why I think you know entrepreneurs are generally the ones who are successful, why are they successful? It's mainly because they don't stop what they're doing. They just keep going and they keep going. Even if they keep hitting you know, one wall after another, they will keep pivoting and go, pivot and go. And the only way to really do that and stay motivated is if you have a co-founder who is constantly helping cheer you on. And then when he's down, you're up. When you're down, he's up. It helps make sure that you don't stop and that you do continue to move forward and pivot and move forward. At some point along that, that line of pivoting, what you offer will fit with what the market wants. And then that's when the business is really born and it starts to take off and it starts to grow. But to get there, there's a little bit of a grueling process of hitting lots of walls, having super sad days and nights where it doesn't work, tears, all that stuff. And a co-founder will help you get over these humps and, and these hurdles. If you're alone... It's really, really hard to do that. It's very easy to say, oh my God, this isn't going to work. I'm done. I'm going to go back to a nine to five. But it's also hard to find a co-founder as someone who's, uh, I don't know, I've tried to bring a couple people in with me and you think you have the right fit and then you don't have the right fit and then you feel like you're starting from scratch again. I think, you know, personally, I've gotten a little gun shy. You know, you, you bring someone on, you bring them into the inner circle, you try them out, you work together for a year or so, and then it's like, 
they're not the right fit. And then it feels like starting from scratch again. Yeah. Finding a, a you know, there's probably, you know, books that are written on how to even find just a, a, a good co-founder. Um, you know, one of the reasons why my co-founder is my brother is because there's a level of trust that is inherently there. You just know the person's DNA, you know what they're thinking, how they think, you know, what you can, you can rely on them for. So, you know, finding a co-founder that you've never met before is not probably ideal. You definitely want to look within your own network, who's like-minded, who has the same energy, uh, and, and who's very, very trustworthy, and, and who wants to be an entrepreneur as well. And Usually people find those folks in college um, at some point along their educational career um, or, or at, you know, at their first job together, they came up with an idea. But yeah, it's not easy to find, find that right co-founder. Well, besides your brother, who do you really admire? It could be someone in business, someone in the food world, or just someone personally. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd honestly probably say um, uh, my, my dad, because, uh, you know, he's a person who came to this country, you know, overseas 30 years ago, couldn't speak English, worked the, you know, McDonald's, every, you know, all those jobs and, and trying to figure out how to make it work. But he was very entrepreneurial, started his own company, uh, a construction company, then a home building company, and it was success after success. And kind of watching that as I was younger, just the sheer hustle that a human being can have to just not stop and just keep going and keep going. I think that helped teach me. You know, I went to law school. I was supposed to be a lawyer. And I, th- I think it showed me this is a much more exciting path. This is a much more rewarding uh, path to be able to employ people and hire people and, and grow businesses. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably answer that question and say my dad. It's inspiring to see someone in your family specifically kind of lead the way like that. Um, you know, my dad didn't start his own business, but he worked at the same company for 40 years, I guess, for for better or for worse. You know, I, I saw a lot of good things, but a lot of that also pushed me to not want to work for the same company for 40 years and to kind of go out and start my own thing. Yeah, I think um, what your parents do very much shapes, you know, how you end up, you know, turning out essentially, um, whether you do what they do or that you go in the totally opposite direction. My brother was an entrepreneur after he got out of uh, James Madison University undergrad and kind of watched him. Then I wanted to do that. And then now his success, my, you know, my success. And then now my sister, who's uh, now in the working world, has started her own, you know, uh, company as well. So kind of everyone's kind of following in that in, in those footsteps. And um, I try and meet with a lot of friends who do work at other companies. And it's like a mission of mine to pull them out. And have them do what they want to do, which is, you know, they all have got an idea and, and a concept and something that they're more passionate about. Um, it's just about taking on the risk and being okay with, you know, being comfortable with, you know, the, the level of risk that that entails. And I think surrounding yourself with people who are supportive. I mean, there's there's caution, but I know when I went to start my own business, there was a lot of people who are very comfortable in their jobs and they didn't understand. You know, I was at a job that I had been at for 10 years with all the benefits and bells and whistles, and they just couldn't conceive of me starting from zero in their opinion. And uh, a lot of them weren't supportive, but a lot of them were, and I think also surrounding yourself with the right people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, and I'll say it's, it's probably not for everyone. Uh, it, it is, you know, at certain times, gut-wrenching. It is very difficult. It's not easy in the first year or so. But the big but is if you are successful, if you do make it through that you know, there, there's really no cap or no ceiling on what you're able to accomplish. Having the right people around you, you know, as you're doing that is important. 
you know, talking to other founders and entrepreneurs who are doing it successfully, creating that friend group is, is important. Just you're going to learn a lot from them. Um, and it also just the main piece of this is like, can you stay motivated through the tough times? Uh, I think, you know, personally, I believe most businesses fail, not because the idea is bad, not even because the execution is bad. It's because at some point they were, they got demotivated and just stopped and, and verse, you know, rather than trying to innovate and fix and, and continue. And if anything, this past year has shown everyone you, you know, have to either adapt or you, you don't. And then. I think that this generation of entrepreneurs will be incredible. Over the next few years, uh, you will see lots of incredible companies being born. This generation that went through COVID and was forced to figure out how to do things differently, they're, they're going to be natural entrepreneurs and natural pivoters and natural innovators. And so what we should see out of this very, you know, again, crappy time is on the other side, a lot of you know amazing businesses that are going to you know help people in general, you know live better lives and, and do better things. So, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with before we get out of here today? Uh, you know, for the for the folks who are in the culinary industry and, and you are thinking about you know how do you start your own business and all the things that come with it, uh, best advice is take that leap, try it. Uh, you know, the risk is it's risky for everyone but very rewarding if you keep on going at it. Um, if you find platforms like Hungry and others that help kind of ease you into it even better, but there's a lot of amazing tools out there that can, that can make an entrepreneur successful. Um, and there's lots of innovating that, that needs to happen in the culinary world. Um, it, it just needs some, some really great people to, to make it happen. Again, this past year, we've seen a lot of changes that uh, COVID and just the state of things in the world have kind of sped up some of the changes that I think need to happen in the restaurant industry. So it's, uh, I'm optimistic for the future there. Yep. Yeah. Same. I think we're going to see some amazing things over the next few years. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate having you. If any chefs want to start working with Hungry, what's the best way for them to start? Uh, if they visit our website, hungry.com, uh, they can apply to be a chef uh, right there. And, you know, um, we have a whole chef network team. They'll get back to them quickly. They'll talk to them um, and they'll put them uh, have them, you know, apply and go through uh, our process. And then um, hopefully they'll be on the platform. It sounds great. And I really hope some of our chefs uh, reach out and can start growing their business even more. Very cool. I appreciate it. Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. And to all of our Chefs Without Restaurants listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com.org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.